Today, on Commitment to Truth. Things are going to happen in a church that you're not going to like because the church is made up of people who are sinned by nature, saved by Christ. When those things happen, rather than complain against the one who is doing it, pray that God changes your heart towards that person. See, a lot of times we don't do that. We pray for that person. God changes them so that I can accept them. But that don't work because what God wants to change is your heart. So pray for God to change your heart and watch miracles happen. Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Ken Jones, teaching pastor at Commitment Church, with today's message. First of all, we're going to talk about three different ways that we drift, and then I will go to how we can avoid them. So let's go right to James chapter 1, verse 6. James chapter 1, verse 6. We'll actually do 6 through 8. It says, But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So our first thing is we should not be double-minded. Uh, I looked up double-minded uh, in my trusty little Greek-Hebrew. It says uh, double-minded literally means two-souled, and that's S-O-U-L, sold. Having two souls, one soul that belongs to God in our minds, and one soul that doesn't. Um, I heard a spoken word done one time about our minds being uh, like a filing cabinet, and we open two or three of those filing cabinets for God, but there's a couple of drawers down there that we don't want them to see. They're kind of like ours, and we keep them from him. Two sold. Vacillating an opinion or purpose, waver or falter between two opinions. And that makes us unstable, unsettled, unsteady, not constant, and my favorite word, fickle. It's only, do you think that's only used for ladies? <laughs> no. Uh, showing or marked by erratic or volatile emotions or behavior. You ever watch the news? <laughs> what do you see? A bunch of erratic and volatile behavior. Double-mindedness. Right, I, I got to say it this way. I'm trying, I, it's kind of hard for me to put this out because I don't want this to sound like I'm better than you. Because I'm not. When I speak about these things that we're going to talk about here today, I've experienced them in my own life. I've been there, and I've suffered through them, thinking I was something, and I wasn't. So when I speak about these, trust me when I tell you, I speak from personal experience in my life, what it means to be double-minded. Because I was real good at going to church. And I would sing all the hymns, so 
Sorry, I'm old. I'm a Baptist. We sang hymns. I would sing all the hymns, boy. I knew the scripture. I, knew, I, I, didn't, know, I didn't even need to look in the, in the beginning here because I knew where the book was, even in the Old Testament. And I knew the right thing to say to the pastor on my way out the door. I had the perfect platitude. Said he'd be impressed with me. And then on my way home, I'd pick up the case of beer, kick on the game, put up my feet, and get smashed. <laughs> I mean, literally double-minded. Go to work. And I, I had a boss tell me one time, uh, if I didn't like it, it was the language of the workplace. Because the language of the workplace is that filthy communication that's not supposed to proceed from our mouths. So what ends up happening is we start to become desensitized to this language as it permeates our minds and our hearts, and the next thing you know, we're talking the same way. And whatever happened to Sunday, that was forgotten. Because now we're in this other world, this other place, and my double-mindedness had now moved me over here. Writers in Hollywood do not write to entertain you. They write for a purpose. They have a message that they want you to receive. And I don't think you can see a movie or a TV show today that doesn't have sexual innuendos, that doesn't have foul language, and doesn't introduce us and help us to approve of the LGBTQ community. And I'm at a point today in TV where all I watch is HGTV because I can't find anything else that doesn't have all that stuff in it. And it's designed to desensitize us to a point of approval where we think it's language of the workplace. Where it's okay if somebody acts a certain way because that's not me, so they can act the way they want. They have the right. By the way, look up rights in the Bibles. Tell me if you find it. Okay. That's the double-mindedness that we have to fight day after day after day. And I'll get to how we're going to do that <clears throat> soon, but I need to move on because I'll be here all morning. All right, second part is uh, verse 9. Uh, let's go to James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Which says, But the brother of humble circumstances is the glory in his high position, and the rich man is the glory in his humiliation. Sounds kind of backwards, doesn't it? It's not. Because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, will fade away. We are not to covet or boast. The interesting thing I find when you look at the differences between rich and poor is that poor people have a tendency to first of all be content. They understand the circumstance that they're in 
They see the struggle that it becomes, but they find more contentment in being there. Rich people are never content. I've never seen a person that has money that doesn't want to get more. And you sit there sometimes and you say to yourself, how much is enough? Good Lord. <laughs> how much is enough? And yet they're never satisfied. You'll find in Scripture that God talks more to the rich person than the poor. Because, see, when we're poor, we tend to be more humble. Because we recognize the fact that we can't completely get all this done on our own and we need help. And we'll reach out to the government, the churches, or whatever we need to reach out to to assist us in living our day-to-day -day daily lives. Which is why it's very, when, when Christ came, the, the poor were ready to accept him because they understood that he was there to help. Rich people, the more we get money, the more money that comes into our pockets, the more we become self-sufficient. I did this. I did that. I made this money. I'm making more money. I got this house. I got this car. And God's forgotten. And eventually he's pushed away and pushed away and pushed away. So it's harder for the person with money to humble themselves and say, everything I have came from God. I didn't do squat. Lastly, verse 12 of James chapter 1 says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So we don't want to be impatient. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. My mom is 93. And all I keep hearing from her is, I don't know why I'm still here. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I keep telling him, I've got to be patient. You'll get there. <laughs> You'll get there. But you look around you, man, and you see what's going on in this world today, and you say, God, how much longer are you going to wait? It is so wicked and evil and disgusting. My goodness. And then you go, wait a minute, though. It was even worse than Noah's time. Can you imagine that? That it was worse? Ooh. But it was. So we're not quite there yet. But we keep saying, God, how long? How long? How long are you going to wait? Because we're ready. Man, I would love to hear a trumpet right now. I wouldn't have to finish this sermon. <laughs> no, we have to be patient. So, how do we avoid this drift? These three things, the double-mindedness, the covetousness or boasting, and our impatience. Let's go to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 8. It says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. We must draw close to God. And in case you haven't noticed, it's an action word. We cannot sit and expect God to come to us. We need to draw near to him. We need to get up and move. We need to go towards God. 
when you remember, we've, we've I've talked about this before, the word repentance means to turn around and go in, in the opposite direction that you were going. It's an action word. The word purify means to make clean, sanctify, to free from moral or spiritual defilement. Something that the priests did when they, be, when they would go into the Holy of Holies, they had to go through this ritual cleansing before they could go in. And the concept of the ritual cleansing was they could not go before God until all the sin was out, until they were completely, head to toe, purified from their sin. And then and only then could they enter into the Holy of Holies, which is why they tied a rope around his ankle in case he didn't quite get it all done right. He would drop dead when he went in there and they had to pull him out. That's how seriously God takes our coming before him. If you expect your prayers to be answered, you need to purify before you come before God. Or he ain't going to hear you. I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered. Trust me, if you haven't purified your heart before God, he's not hearing. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear me. So there's a purification process that needs to take place. There's forgiveness. There's an acknowledgement of who we are as sinners and then asking for forgiveness and repentance and drawing near to God. Draw near actually means approach. Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13, 14. Sorry, I stuck 14 in there. Then the Lord said, because this people draw near with their words and honor me with their lip service, but they remove their hearts far from me, and their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with this people, wondrously marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the discernment of their discerning men will be concealed. That's the double-mindedness that I lived in. I had all the right words, man. I was serving God with lip service, not heart service. It was out of the fleshly part of my heart, which needed to be circumcised so that my heart would be pure before God. And that's the place we need to get to. There's only one way to accomplish that, and that's in total surrender to Jesus Christ. Everything in your life has to be his. Everything, those filing cabinet drawers that you're afraid to open, you got to open up and let them into them. Let them pull out those file cards and tear them into little pieces and throw them in the trash because he removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. But you've got to bear it first. He's not going to come in and get it. You got to open up and let them in. When I came to Christ finally and surrendered my life to him completely, I took everything secular out of my life. I had boxes of albums 
that I put out on the trash out in front of my house. I had boxes of songbooks that I had to put into boxes and put out for the trash. I had books that I liked to read. I was a big mystery freak that I had to put into boxes and put out for the trash. Because in my life, I knew that if I didn't totally give God every single minute of my life, I would fall back into that old life. I knew it. So I had to give everything to him. Even in order to just survive the day-to-day living at work. Because I was in that evil place. And slowly, but surely, he continued to cut away those things I didn't need until I got to a point where I could survive that workplace in a holy way. I had a missionary uh, from my old church who testified one time. He said every time he gets into a car, before he turns the key, he prays and asks for God's protection because the highway is the most dangerous place in the world. And that just made perfect sense to me. I mean, if I'm going to go into a battle with a gun, I sure as heck want to have God's protection, right? I'm going to be praying. I mean, there's a lot of foxhole Christians, you know? I'm going to be praying like crazy. But shucks, out there is the most dangerous place in the world. I should be praying like crazy before I get in the car. Do we? I forget. You kidding? (laughs) Because our brains and our minds are so busy running here and running there and doing this and my mom's over here and the kids are over there and I got to run over here and I just got a call for this over here and I'm not even thinking about God. I'm good at listening to Christian music. I got it tuned in on my radio. I got it on my phone. I got it all over the place. And I'll put that on in my car while I'm driving around, but I'm not thinking about the words of the song that's going on because my brain's going in 12 different directions. And where's God? Oops. Thankfully, every once in a while, a song will come on and go, hey, I like that one. Turn that sucker up. And it speaks to me. But if I was listening to some sports broadcast, God wouldn't be able to get in. You understand what I'm saying? Find ways to give God everything in your life. And when you find yourself Going into that place you shouldn't be, the Holy Spirit's going to go, "Uh uh-uh, you don't want to go there. Of course, then it's going to be your choice, which Pastor will talk about next week. Secondly, James chapter 4, please, verses 11 and 12. James chapter 4, 11 and 12. Do not speak against one another, brethren. That means he's talking to Christians. Okay. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. But there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? We've got to resist turning on each other. The words speak against means slander and insulting language. 
Slander is critical speech intended to inflame others against the person being criticized. If there's one thing we can say about this country today is we are more divided than we've ever been, probably since slavery. And we've now found many different lines of division to have. 90% of them are political. And if you'll notice, one thing Pastor Cedric will not allow is anybody to put in a little brochures in here that talk about who voted for what in your legislature, because there's no place for politics in this church, because politics divides. George Washington said when they were making political parties that the biggest mistake they could make in this country was to allow political parties to come to be, because it would divide the nation. But back then, the winner became president and the loser became vice president. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I'd work perfect today. Why did we mess that up? And yet we've never been more divided than we've ever been. And that division creates anger and animosity and it makes us forget God. Because see, when God looks at us, he doesn't see the color of our eyes and the clothes that we're wearing and the color of our skin. What he sees is our hearts. And if our hearts haven't been fully given to God, he's going to see something he don't want to see. And we're going to put something out there that is not godly. And we're going to divide. And that is what's destroying the church of God today. I heard of a pastor in another church who said that if you weren't a member of a particular political party, you couldn't be a Christian. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I looked all over and couldn't find that one. Lordy, lordy. It ain't in there. I don't care how you vote. It makes no difference to me. You know why? The guy that's president is there because that's where... I mean, that's not going to stop me from voting, but please, people, God's going to put in power who God wants in power because God has a purpose and a plan, and all we need to do is trust him. Have positional respect for the position, not the man, because sometimes we don't respect the man, but we respect the position that he's in, which means we're to obey the law because God said render to Caesar what was Caesar's, and Caesar was a pretty lousy guy. But why do we allow that to infect us in the church when the only thing we should be focused on is a holy God? Because this life is about that long compared to eternity. And you know, we don't really have to worry about global warming because my Bible says that at the end of the tribulation period, which we haven't gotten into yet, that we're all going to come back here on this earth for a thousand years. So he ain't going to let us ruin it if he's bringing us back here. <laughs> no, I'm not saying let's go out and ruin the earth because he created it. It's his creation and we should be obedient to care for his creation. What I'm saying is I ain't going to lose sleep over it either because he's got it. And see, when we look 
at these issues in light of the word of God, we can have faith and belief that he's got it, and I can walk down the street with a smile on my face. And everybody can wonder what's wrong with me. Because that's what's going to draw people to Christ. Because ultimately, that's what we want to do. I don't want to convince you of my political opinion. I want to convince you that you need Jesus Christ. And you need to be 100% totally convinced that he is it. Because one day he will be the king. In this place. Right here. In the new Jerusalem. The only light we'll need. Why are we buried? Why do we get wrapped up in stuff? And like I said, I'm as guilty as anybody. All right, look, if we turn on each other, two things happen. First of all, we're charged with speaking against the law, which is the law of love. In Leviticus, please. Turn the page over. Leviticus 19, verse 18. says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Matthew 7. Verse 12 says, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. So when we speak against the law, we show our opposition to the law by judging the law of love and implying that we're exempt from it. If I judge you by something that I believe is in the law, then I think I don't have to worry about me. And what I'm learning is that the guy that needs to be judged is the guy that faces me back in the mirror. That's the only judging I can do. But now, number two, there's only one lawgiver and one judge. And that's the man, God, we will stand before at the judgment seat of Christ. So someone who slanders puts himself in the place of God. And I don't know about you, but that's the place I don't want to be. Because the guy that really is God ain't going to like that too much. Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40. Familiar passage. He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Everything that we do should involve two things, loving God and loving people. James chapter 5, verse 9. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Or in the Ken version of Scripture, quit whining <laughs> against people. Things are going to happen in a church that you're not going to like because the church is made up of people who are sinned by nature, saved by Christ. 
when those things happen, rather than complain against the one who is doing it, pray that God changes your heart towards that person. See, a lot of times we don't do that. We pray for that person. God changed them so that I can accept them. But that don't work. Because what God wants to change is your heart. So pray for God to change your heart and watch miracles happen. Next, let's go back to James chapter 1, verse 12. Good, the clock's broke. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. We must remain patient. We must remain patient. Chapter 5 in James, verses 7 and 8, says, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts. Why? Because the coming of the Lord is near. The word persevere means to bear up under, to be patient under, to endure, suffer, abide patiently. Yes, suffer is in there. The words be patient mean long-suffering, patiently endure, to show long-suffering in the presence of affliction and injustice. So we see this thing, what Pastor talked about last week, about trials and how we're to have joy in trials, and this is why we have joy in trials, because we need to suffer long. But be patient, because we know the end of the story. Paul calls it a short affliction. We think of it as, oh my goodness, <laughs> but it's not. As a result of perseverance, a Christian can expect not only to build up strength of character, but to consequently enhance the strength of the church. You see, if we become patient under trial, that patience under trial transfers to others. And what will happen is that when you hit a trial, because there's no temptation, but that is common to man, when you hit those things, you'll see somebody else in the church has hit the same thing and walked through it. And you'll go, okay, <laughs> how'd you do that? Can you help me persevere through this same trial that I saw you walk through and have success? That's church. You all know people in here that are what I would call the rear prayers. There are some folks in here that really have the ear of God and you know who they are. And part of church is when I'm walking through that trial, I'm going to go find one of them prayers. Because they will stand with you through that trial. And they will lay it at the feet of Jesus because they know where the answer lies. And when our faith is slipping, they'll be there to help us up in the name of Jesus. That's church. Why? Because the coming of the Lord is near. Golly, we should all be happy. All right, I'm going to end with this, last part. James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. 
I know I'm waxing eloquent here, but we've got to get done. James 1, verses 5 and 6 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him, but he must ask in faith, without doubting. Now listen, I'm going to do this quickly. Wisdom, definition for wisdom, skill, tact, expertise, especially in respect to divine wisdom, the ability to regulate one's relationship with God, the ability to judge correctly, follow the best course of action, listen, on knowledge and understanding. Wisdom is feet to knowledge. You can have all the knowledge in the world and have zero wisdom because it's all stuck in your head and it ain't coming out. Wisdom is taking the knowledge and understanding that you have that God has given you and putting it to use. And that's a common theme you're going to see throughout the book of James. It's about taking all this Christian stuff that we get through God's word and preaching and music and other avenues and putting it to use for the kingdom of God. And all we have to do is ask. Isn't that cool? But he notice he says ask in faith. Think about this for a minute. Why would I ask God for something if I didn't think he was going to give it to me? Doesn't make sense, does it? You want wisdom? Ask him for it. And I, the King James says he'll give it to you liberally. I love that word. That's even better than generous. <laughs> That's like buckets full. Like, like, like more wisdom than you can actually handle. I'm still working on that. The word reproach. Remember, he's going to give this without reproach, right? That word reproach means scorn. Rebuke, blame, to express disapproval of, criticism of, or disappointment in. God will never criticize you. God is never disappointed in you. And that's one of the hard things for, for people to accept sometimes. We think, oh gosh, I sinned, so God must be really disappointed in me. No, he's not. He's just waiting for you to ask for forgiveness so he can bring you back. That's all. We do the same thing with our kids. Shucks, I do the same thing with the dog. God is not disappointed in us when we mess up. So we don't have to wallow in self-pity. Just give it back to him. Okay, God, I did it again. Sorry. He goes, okay, let's move forward. That's it. It's really that simple. We try to make it hard. You know, we want to we crawl on our hands and knees to Mecca. We don't need to. Just give it to God. Just say, God, I'm sorry. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. I'm going to end here. Before somebody pulls the plug. Ephesians 6, 18 says, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit with this in view. And be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. It kind of pulls it all in together. And the thing that's neat about Ephesians 6 here, this is the armor of God. And that's the verse right after all the other armor has been given to us. So you see, God has provided for you all of the things you need to not drift. The helmet of salvation and your feet shod with the gospel of peace. 
and all the rest of the different pieces of armor that God has provided come together in prayer. And then all you got to do is say, okay, God, help me to put all this stuff on. Remember, this is an action now. We're putting it on, just like you're putting on a coat. I'm taking the action to put the armor on, God, help it to work. Because you're the one that makes it work. And it's really easy. We make it hard. But trust me, when you get to the other side, when you have finally surrendered, and you've given God everything, you're going to sit there and go, oh, man, why did I wait so long? This really is easy. This living for God is great. And then you'll understand why I give a lot of time. Because living for God is great. And I have found more joy since 1988 than I ever had in my life. And I'm really old. Hello, this is Cedric Brown, your teacher on Commitment to Truth. I would like to personally thank you so much for tuning in week after week to listen here on this station. My prayer is that our time together is encouraging and strengthening you in your personal walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, I'm not going to assume that all of you know this Christ that I speak about week after week. And if you don't, and this is you, my prayer is that you are being inspired to know Him personally through commitment to truth. But if you want to invite this Christ into your life right now, would you like to please pray with me? It's just a short prayer. It goes like this. Just say, Jesus, I acknowledge today that I am a sinner and I've sinned against you. But I believe that you came to die for me. You were buried for me and you rose again from the grave just for me. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to be my Lord and my risen Savior. And I surrender my life completely to you until I see you face to face. Jesus, would you, would you please empower me through your Holy Spirit to live the rest of my life for your glory and for the good of others. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. So if you pray this prayer, or if you need help finding a local Christ-centered and Bible-teaching church, please email me at info at commitmenttotruth.org. Once again, that is info at commitmenttotruth.org. And lastly today, could you please do two things for me, all of you? Number one, could you spread the word about commitment to truth to your friends, your family, and even your enemies? We all could learn, right? And secondly, please email me at info at commitment to truth to let me know how this ministry is impacting your life. Once again, that is info at commitment to truth.org. I would love to hear from you. May God bless you and your family and have a great day. Thank you again for listening to our latest sermon series from Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church a place for all nations. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. 
You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.